You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast. Create the joyful, purposeful, and rich life you deserve with Gene Chatsky. T-minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Thanks for tuning in and listening to the Journey to Launch podcast. I am always excited and grateful to be able to come to you every single week with brand new episode conversation around money, around life, because you know my goal is to have you live your best life. And I'm excited to have the legendary Gene Chatsky on the podcast. Now, if you don't know who Gene Chatsky is, she is a legend in the personal finance space. She is the financial editor of the NBC Today Show and is an award-winning personal finance journalist. She has a podcast of her own, Her Money, and she's been a best-selling author. She has numerous, numerous books, one of which we're going to talk about today, her newest one, Women With Money. And she's just been in this game for a long time. So I really respect what she's been able to do, how she has transformed her career. So she is first a journalist and she did so many amazing things. So you'll hear it within the interview. And I was really, for me, inspired because I love hearing how people transition through different areas of their life and in their career. As you know, I am in the middle of a big career transition, being a full-time entrepreneur now and taking some risk doing that. And Jean did a lot of that throughout her time. So you're going to really enjoy this conversation. I actually got a chance to meet Jean at FinCon and there was a contest. A lot of you guys actually, I believe, voted for me because I came on and asked for you guys to vote for me. She was running a contest about basically being able to be mentored by her, like having a meeting with her and then being on her podcast, her money, which was awesome. So you guys came through, you voted for me and actually won. So I did get to meet Jean in person and it was really lovely and I gained some wonderful, wonderful insight. So thanks again for that, Jean. Now, before we hop into this amazing conversation, just want to get a few things off the to-do list here. It's been a while since I asked you guys to leave a review on Apple Podcast if that's where you listen. So that purple app on your iPhone, if you listen there, make sure you're subscribed, first of all. But if you are enjoying this content, please rate, review, and subscribe. The reviews mean a lot to me. I read each and every one. And believe it or not, they do help with discoverability. And just in general, people, when they, I've said, I've had people say to me, I went and I was looking for a personal finance show. And because your show had so many good reviews, it made me stop and say, let me check it out. So it does matter, and I do appreciate when you guys take the time to do that. And in fact, I am going to read a podcast review at the end of this episode. Also, this is episode 104. So if you want the episode show notes, so that's where you can get any links that we mentioned or just to find out more information about something that Jean talked about or anything going on with me, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 104. I always say that the best way to keep in touch, so if you love the podcast and you're just like, Jamila, I want more, make sure you're going to the website. And when I say journeytolaunch.com slash episode 104, and that you're also signing up for my weekly newsletter list. That way you're always in the know of what's going on and you won't really miss a thing. 
Now, remember to tag me on social media. If you're listening to this episode, take a screenshot. I'm Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you know, I always love conversating with you guys and just meeting you and what you're doing. So make sure you tag me and say hello. Now, let's get into this episode. Hey, Journeyers, I'm really excited to have a special, special guest on the podcast, and she is no other than the one and only Jean Chatsky. Hi, Jean. Hi, Jamila. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, it's so nice to talk to you, and I'm so honored to have you on the podcast because you've been such a source of inspiration for myself and a lot of people who are in the midst of getting their money together, who have gotten their money together. I know you've been like that beacon of guidance. Aw, you're so sweet. Thank you. So it's an honor to have you on the show. And I spoke a little bit before in the intro, how we met and the opportunity to talk to you one on one and get such your like amazing insight because you have such a long history in the journalism world in the business and personal finance space. And so I'm excited to have you to come on and like really share some nuggets of wisdom here. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm very, very happy to be here. Right now, you have such a rich history. I was reading your bio and as I was reading it, I was nodding my head because the things you've done to get to where you are, the revelations that you had and you you, you really laid it out really well, like kind of decisions you made. And we're going to go through that because I really would like to go back into kind of your past and the steps it took you to become who you are. And one of them was as I was reading through just some of your articles and bio, one of them was that when you graduated from college, you knew that you wanted to be a writer and that was your goal. That was your dream. And you were faced with two opportunities at the time, a job where it was going to pay you more money, but it wasn't in the field that you loved versus a job in the field you love as a writer. And you took the job that made more money and you quickly realized that was not the right choice. So can you go back a little bit and talk about that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I it was the only time in my life that I ever took a job just for the money. I was coming out of school. A lot of people were interviewing for jobs in consulting firms and on Wall Street where they hire a whole bunch of people and you know exactly how much you're going to make. And creative jobs are just not like that. I, I tell a lot of the young people that I, I work with these days and my own kids that it's not possible if you're looking for a job in a creative field to anticipate the fact that there will be an opening. You you want to get your network in order. You want to make sure your resume is there. You want to get to the contacts. But I got caught up in it and I was offered two positions. One was at a magazine as an editorial assistant. It was a magazine called New Woman. It no longer exists. And it paid $12,000 a year. Now, granted, this was 1986, so that's terrible, but not as terrible as it sounds. And the other one was in the retail management training program of a department store called G Fox, which was in Hartford, Connecticut, and it was paying $24,000. And I took that job and I bought a car and I got a roommate and I moved to Hartford and I rented an apartment and I knew on day two that it was a horrible, horrible mistake. It took me about three months to extricate myself to find another job back in New York for ironically $11,500 a year. So that was my punishment, not even making the $12,000. And I was able to offload the car and find somebody to replace me in the apartment. But it taught me an important lesson. It, the money 
might be nice, but if you feel um, out of place every single day when you go to work, if you feel like you're you're just on the wrong course and you're you're not listening to your own better instincts, you should take the job that offers you the opportunity to do what you want to do and try to make additional money on the side. I had a side hustle long before side hustles were a thing. <laughs> I taught SATs on the side. I made more on an hourly basis teaching and tutoring SATs than I did in my regular job. But that money allowed me to live the life that I wanted to live and to do the work that I wanted to do. I think that is such uh, great advice because so many, especially have younger journeyers listening and some older ones, and they find themselves having this choice between the money and then maybe something that's more fulfilling for like their life goals. And, you know, I say, obviously, you need to pay your bills. You need to be able to pay your expenses. But what happens a lot of times is that, you know, you take something where at least you have some energy, you have some life, you have some will to see it through and to do good work that that usually unfolds into better and more opportunities as you go along the path. And how lucky I say lucky, but how good for you that you learned that lesson really early on in your career, because I'm sure that helped you then make decisions later on. Right. Oh, it, it absolutely did. I ended up at a magazine called Working Woman, which also no longer exists. And I was the assistant to the business editor and learned that I really, really liked business writing. I had been a bit of a, a math geek in high school. I was an English major in college. Writing stories about business actually gave me the opportunity to use both of those things, to write stories in which numbers played an important role. And when I left Working Woman, I wanted to go to a serious business magazine. I wanted to go to Forbes, Fortune, Money, all the places that hired me later on would not even look at me at that point because they didn't think that Working Woman was a real business magazine. They thought it didn't really have the chops to have trained me to do the work that I would need to do there. And I remember sitting down with the chief of reporters at Forbes magazine, and he told me I needed to go get an MBA, which I was not at all interested in doing at the time. I had really liked college, but I had liked college more outside the classroom than in it. And I um, was not up for taking on what would have been amid five figures, if not more, in student loan debt. And so I floundered around for a little while, but eventually I started thinking about what he was really telling me. And he wasn't really telling me that I needed a piece of paper, a degree, that I had taken all these finance courses. He was telling me that I needed to know how to read financial statements, that if he were to send me out to report a business story for Forbes magazine, I needed to understand how to dig into those kind of numbers. And I realized that when I read business stories or reported business stories, I often called equity research analysts on Wall Street who were the people who dug into these numbers. So I applied for jobs there in equity research on Wall Street it was actually very easy to get because I was able to convince some analysts that it would be handy to have me around to help them write their research reports. And I was able to learn those numbers on the job. That job paid me $45,000 when I started and $50,000 when I left with a bonus. Um, and I left to go to Forbes magazine where the salary was $25,000. Because again, it was what I wanted to do. 
It was, I had not um, let my lifestyle get out of control. And I, um, I knew that that was the path that I was training myself to be on. Mm-hmm. And there's so many lessons in that story because you luckily you had the discernment to understand that going out to take out this college debt, this, you know, to get this MBA and to make just under, you weren't even going to be making double of what this cost of the MBA was, was going to be not a really smart or good bet. And I love that you were creative. So this is a thing I think a lot of people come up with where they have a passion or they have a skill set that or a place or a, a job they want to get into a field and there's no direct path and maybe it's not something that's created yet or they, they need to be more creative in a way in which they can enter that field. And I love that you saw a kind of like an entry a way that wasn't necessarily as open to a lot of people, but you saw it as like, hey, I actually can go on Wall Street and write for them and get the same kind of experience because that's the best way that most people learn to be able to then still make it into the career that you wanted to ultimately be in. Yeah, and and I I actually encourage people to do this when I when I talk to um, younger people who are looking for career advice. Don't think about your skills literally. Think about your skills in sort of the macro viewpoint. Think about your skills in a way of asking yourself how they could be used in a variety of industries. We're going through this, or we have gone through this in in journalism. Um, I, I've lived through, I, I already told you about two magazines that I used to work for that no longer exist. There are many, many magazines that no longer exist. And the, the jobs in journalism are not as plentiful as they used to be. However, communication skills, written skills can be used in companies who are hiring people to create content and writing online and writing for or television. I mean, it's just a matter of, of thinking about, okay, I've got really good data analysis skills. Where can I apply those? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then another thing that you did and you mentioned was that you went to take a lower paying job after that job on Wall Street. How did you know that was the right time to make such a decision and move in your career? I went into Wall Street knowing that what I wanted to get out of it was a path back to business journalism. And I knew all along that business journalism was going to pay far less. So that was no surprise. I was pretty linear about knowing exactly what I wanted to do, that I wanted to be a reporter at Forbes. And so making that decision was maybe the easiest work decision I've ever had to make. Mm -hmm. And then another thing um, in your career that you made the decision was to leave Forbes and then go to Smart Money which was almost like a startup arm of the Wall Street Journal at the time. So what also allowed you to feel comfortable making that type of leap and taking that risk? So at at Forbes, I was a reporter researcher, which is a very nice term for a fact checker. I was able to write and report my own stories, but my primary job was to fact check the stories of senior writers and reporters. And at Smart Money, I was being hired as a writer and no fact checking involved. And so it was a promotion. It meant leaving a tried and true magazine for a startup, but it was a startup with very wealthy parents. Smart Money was the byproduct or the the offspring of Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, So I wasn't I wasn't super worried that the backing was going to fall out from underneath us. 
The, the biggest risk, actually, in going to Smart Money was that I was leaving the world of business journalism and entering the world of personal finance. And at that point, personal finance was a bit of a backwater. Um, it, it was no, it was in no way the industry that it is now. And when I left, I had a parade of colleagues from Forbes telling me that I was ruining my career because personal finance was boring and who wants to write about mutual funds all day. And I actually remember picking up the phone and calling the guy who had offered me the job, Steve Swartz, who was the, um, who was the, uh, editor-in-chief of Smart Money and is now the CEO of, of Hearst Company, and, and saying, I don't think I can come work for you. After he had offered me the job, after I had accepted the job, I said, I, I just don't think I can come because I don't want to write about mutual funds and 12B1 fees all day. And he said, you never have to write about 12B1 fees. Bring me stories about people and their money. And that just opened my eyes to the way that I have approached my entire career. I mean, some people have asked me, how is it possible that you have covered personal finance for 25, 30 years? I mean, aren't you bored? And the answer is, I am not bored because um, people are fascinating. The way people behave with money is fascinating. Things are changing all the time. And I've had the opportunity to really learn about human behavior in in a way that I, I don't think I would have if I had continued to write corporate profiles. Now that you've seen just where the personal finance space has grown to, and now that we are now operating more as like individual media companies, right? So I think the great thing about social media is that now you have opportunities where people can have their own blogs, their own podcasts. They don't really need a big publication behind them or a company supporting them to do this. And I would think that from you seeing the evolution of the personal finance space, it must be all fascinating or just intriguing or hopefully maybe good for you to see like how much of this has grown, right? Oh, absolutely. I think it's really, really inspiring. And it's not just personal finance where you can do this. It's sports, it's entertainment, it's politics, right? The advent of social media has given everybody the opportunity to have a voice and a microphone in a way that they didn't before. Mm -hmm. And since you've been in this space for so long, the personal finance space specifically, I'm sure you see themes that come up all the time. And everyone has a different personal finance story and general story. Everyone's story is different. But what are just some of the common threads that you have not seen change? So the problems, um, I know you definitely, you focus on women and we're going to talk about that, your new book and just some of the work you've done for women, especially, but what have been some of the common threads that you've seen throughout the years that have still have been issues or people are still trying to overcome these internal struggles with money today? Two or three main ones. The first is that every generation seems to be asked to take more responsibility for our personal finances than the generation before. I came up when, when smart money was launching, 401ks were just being invented. Um, before that, we had pensions. We had health care that was paid for by your company. We had a lot of confidence that Social Security and Medicare would be around, not just for us, but for our kids and for our grandkids. And over the past couple of decades, the level of responsibility on the shoulders of corporations has really diminished, whereas the level of responsibility on the shoulders of individuals has gone up and up and up and up. And I expect that that will continue. 
And that's something that people have to wrap their brains around because it means you have to take care of you. You can't count on the government or the company to do it for you. In tandem with that, I think the the rise of the gig economy has sort of plays a hand in hand role with that. When you are a freelancer, when you are working for many, many different companies, the idea that you've got this benefits safety net just doesn't exist. You have to create your own safety net. And I, I think a lot of people are still coming to terms with that and what that actually means in terms of protecting themselves and their families for their future. Another trend that I, I have not seen go away, but I've seen explained in a, in a more robust and, and better way is just human behavior when it comes to money. The rise of, of behavioral finance as a field of study has been really, really fascinating to me. I mean, we, we've all known for a very long time that just like we know what to do to lose weight, right? You eat less and you exercise more. We all know what to do to become more um, financially stable. We spend less and we save more. And yet we can't get ourselves to do it on a regular basis without help. And understanding why that is, as behavioral economists have explained to us, has allowed us to come up with solutions that help us do the right thing on an ongoing basis. And I think that's really fascinating. And the final trend is just the rise of women. Um, and I say just, but it's no just. It is a big deal. By the year 2030, 66% of the wealth in America will be in the hands of women. And we need to get comfortable and confident when it comes to managing it. Okay, I hope you are enjoying today's episode. But let me just take a quick, quick moment to tell you about today's sponsor, Gusto. You witnessed my journey to uplevel my life, my finances, and now you're actually watching me uplevel my business. I went from being an employee to being self-employed, and the next step is becoming an employer. Hiring people to not only help me bring my vision to life, but give them opportunities and outlets to help them support themselves, their families, and their own dreams. And so I'm always looking for tools and ways in which I can effectively run my business. So if you have a business or you know someone who does, you probably know that small business owners wear lots of hats. And some of those hats are totally great, but some like filing taxes and running payroll, for example, are not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll taxes and HR actually easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing benefits and simple management tools all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Hello. So for my journeyer business owners, now you can get three months free when you run your first payroll. Try a demo and see it for yourself at gusto.com slash journey. Once again, that's gusto.com slash journey for three months free. All right, let's get back into this episode. So I want to go back to one point and then talk more about women because I love that, the rise of the women. But when it comes to the behavioral reasons why a lot of people know what to do, but they don't do it, what is one thing that one is stopping people from moving ahead? And what's like the one solution? Not that it's going to be a cure-all for everyone, but that you found will help most people if they just implement or act upon it. So I can't take credit for, for finding this, but 
automation is is the answer to all of those questions. I mean, it, the the problem is that we're not saving enough. We're not investing consistently. Automating is the answer. If you look at 401ks, 401ks have proven to be the best saving tool that we have. And the reason that they work is because the money comes out of your paycheck automatically before you see it, before you touch it, before you spend it. And therefore, it actually gets where it needs to go and it gets invested. For people who don't have 401ks, putting automatic systems in place that replicate that is the answer and it is the only thing that works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Thanks for that uh, just reminder, <laughs> automation. But let's talk a little bit now about your new book and your work with women and money. So talk a bit about Women With Money, that's your new book, and the need for this book, why you wrote it, and just some, let's, and we can like dive a little bit deeper into the concepts. Sure. The subtitle of the book is The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich Life You Deserve. And every single word of that subtitle is important for a different reason. I wrote the book after two years of producing my Her Money podcast and launching hermoney.com, which is my platform where we publish new content every single day for women about our money. As I said, women are on a trajectory to have the lion's share of the wealth, not just in the United States, but in the world. And part of that is because we outlive men. Um, and as a result, we will inherit not just from our spouses, but from our parents. So we'll inherit twice, whereas men will inherit once, we'll outlive them. And yet, when it comes to managing our money, we don't feel confident. We don't feel in control. We don't feel um, like we have the skills necessarily to do the job we need to do. And so I wrote this book at this particular time to give women the skills to first understand ourselves as we relate to money, because money can be really emotional, to use our money tactically to achieve what we want to achieve, safety and security, first and foremost, making our money last as long as we do, investing for our other goals, taking care of our families, buying homes, the list the list goes on. And then um, the third part of the book is, is really devoted to creating the world that we want for ourselves, for the people that we love, for our communities. Because um, in women, the urge to give back, the generosity impulse is is really, really strong and in fact, much stronger than it is in men. Mm-hmm. So would you say the same qualities that make women, you know, more caring, more nurturing, uh, giving are sometimes the same qualities that then inhibit us or prevent us from moving the needle forward because we are so giving and so selfless with our time and money. Yeah, I think it can absolutely um, get in the way and get in the way of earning as much as we should. If you're giving away all of your time, then you don't have as much of it to devote to earning money if that is your priority. If you are constantly taking care of other people with your resources, you're probably sabotaging your own financial future unless you've already got a tremendous amount of money. And our innate need for safety and security 
often sabotages ourselves. So one of the questions that I asked hundreds of women in reporting this book is, what do you want? What do you want from your money? Because unless you know that, it's very hard to accomplish it, whatever it happens to be. And I heard safety, security, stability, savings, as in, you know, money in the bank. And the irony about this is that if we are keeping all of our money safe in the bank, and women do keep significantly more money in the bank than men do, we are not growing it for our future. And in fact, we're losing money after taxes and inflation. And so we need to get ourselves to a point where we can put our resources to work doing the job of making money for us while we sleep, doing the job of working for us as hard as we're working for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important that there are more people in the personal finance space, relatable people, right? So not in suits, you know, just like plain straight talkers like you. I know one of your things and you said this is one of your superpowers, which I believe to be true. This is why you've had such a long time in this space is you're able just to talk about money in plain terms. Like, let's take away the jargon and let's just talk like we are sitting across from each other. You're my friend. You're my mom. You're my sister. Like, let's talk in plain terms, because I know before I got into this space, I just didn't even understand. Like, it, it felt like it was a world in which like, what, what are mutual funds? What are index funds? Like, it just seemed like a lot. And then when I started to hear people talk about it in ways which I understood it and was like, oh, wait, it's not that complicated. Like, I get it now. Right. I, and, and quite, I believe, look, I believe if I can do this, anybody can do this. Because like I said, I was an English major. I learned all of the things that I have taught to other people by reporting. I was so, so lucky to be able to do this job of reporting on the ins and outs of personal finance that allowed me to get on the phone with really, really smart people every single day and say, explain this to me. How does this work? Break it down. And I wasn't going to get off the phone until I really understood it. Because if I didn't understand it, I couldn't write about it. I couldn't talk about it. And therefore, I couldn't do my job. And so getting rid of the jargon was something that I had to do in order to do my job effectively. And the fact that it has helped me talk to other people about it, I think, is is a wonderful but and, and very beneficial side effect. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I definitely agree. Now, one thing that's been coming up a lot for me lately, especially with I have older listeners, women that will say, I feel like I'm starting really late. You know, I'm just coming to terms or understanding the stuff. I'm in my 40s or 50s. Is it too late for me? And so I kind of want you to give some advice or talk to that part of my audience? Yeah, I hear it all the time too. I hear it, Jamila, I hear it all the time. I say it's not too late, but you might have to get really, really focused. The earlier you start, the more your money has time to grow on itself, right? Money that you save in your 20s and your 30s has a lot of time to grow and that's great. By the time you get to your 40s and your 50s, we have a lot of time to grow still because we're all going to live a very, very long time, but we don't have as much. And so I like to focus on controlling the parts of the equation that you can control. What can you do? You can save more, right? You can, you can make an effort to earn a little bit more to boost your earnings. And maybe you do that 
by looking for a better paying job. Maybe you do that by asking for a raise. Maybe you do it by taking on a side gig. What, whatever you have to do to boost your earning power. And then you have to supercharge your savings. Because although if you start young, saving 15% of everything year in and year out, including matching dollars from your employer, is generally going to be enough to retire on, when you start later, it's not. And so you've got to get your savings rate up to 20%, maybe 25%, maybe even more, depending on the life that you're envisioning for yourself in retirement. The other things that you can play with, the other variables in the, in the equation that you can play with are, are things like how long you're going to work. You know, if you work an extra six months, 12 months, a year at the end of your career, when you are at your highest earning level, you will have more money on which to live for the rest of your life because you won't in that time be pulling money out of your retirement accounts and the money that's already in your retirement accounts will have additional time to grow. So that's a really, really good thing to think about. You want to plan on making sure that you can work long enough so that you can delay taking Social Security because if you take Social Security at 62, it's a much smaller payout than if you take it at 68 or 69 or 70. Every year that you wait equates to an 8% bump in benefits. And that is huge. You can think about if you live in, an, in a high cost area, taking the equity in, in your home, selling it and moving someplace where the taxes are lower and the cost of living is cheaper. There, there are a lot of different ways that you can deal with getting a late start, but waiting one more day shouldn't be one of them. Yes. And another thing that came up as you were talking is what happens too is people listen to this podcast there and listening to yourself and reading your books and just reading the content. They're, at, you know, they, they're doing a lot better than the, some people who are not even aware or want to approach these subjects. And so what happens is they have older people in their family that are having financial issues or need to hear this. And I just, I think you just gave actually a lot of great tips when you start the conversation, you know, when you start it from a place of love, like, you know, let's sit down and talk about what your financial plan looks like. You know, you're getting older that some of those tips you just gave is, are some of the things that they can say to them. Like, let's talk about what that looks like and how we can make sure that you're going to be okay financially. Cause I know that's a huge issue for people where, you know, they do feel like they have older people in their family that they also now need to take care of. Yeah, no, no question. And, and getting the information, I think, is the most important thing because a lot of people my age, and I, I'm 54, are, are dealing with this sort of one, two, three punch at the same time. We're, we're trying to save for retirement for ourselves. At the same time, we're trying to pay for college for our kids, or at least part of college. At the same time, our parents are starting to struggle in some cases and need financial help. And when all of those things hit at once, when you think about the levers that you can pull, what you can do, we can delay our own retirement, right? That's possible. We can look into financial aid for our kids. That's possible. But when it's your older parents who are struggling and they don't have the ability to earn a living anymore, you, you step in and you help because there, there often is no other alternative there. And so although it may be too late to get your parents on a trajectory where they can earn more, you may be able to help them spend a little bit less and improve their situation that way. But you 
at least, at the very least, can get the information about what sort of a responsibility is coming your way. And that can help you do some better planning. Mm -hmm. And now I'm so curious. I really would love your thoughts officially um, here on Journey's Launch about like the financial independence movement. Because I know when I came on your show, we talked about it. I know you were on a Choose a Fi show also. And, you know, they're heavily financially independence based. And here we are talking about people, most people just needing to get on track to save and to get their finances in order. And then you have this movement, this segment, and I'm a part of it that says that's encouraging people that, yes, like I encourage you to get on track and to save, but there may be also another level you can unlock in which you can actually hyper save, you know, aggressively save and like reach these goals. So what are your thoughts on the whole fire movement? I'd love to hear them. Yeah, I mean, I think it is amazing and that it's teaching the rest of the world, the people who are not a part of the FIRE movement, some really amazing strategies for how to be better savers. We've got such a, sh a savings shortfall in this country. It's thing. It's something that people are just terrible at, that if we can all take a lesson, learn a little something from these super savers, members of the FIRE movement who are saving 20, 30, 40, 50 or more percent of their income, I think that's huge. The other thing that I really respect about the FIRE movement is that they learned what I learned early in my career. They're buying time and, and time is the commodity that we can't get more of. They're taking a look at life and saying, I want to be in control of my clock. I don't want my clock controlling me. And I, I think I think that's wonderful. I mean, for me, I am very, very fortunate that I love what I do. I'm also, I think, a little too old to be a fire retiree. It's it's not quite early for me. But I um I'm more concerned in my own life with figuring out how do I keep doing this, you know, for as long as I can, because I, I just love it. But for people who don't, for people who feel like they're working in jobs that they don't love to to super save in such a way that they can then turn and do something they they really do love with their time and with their life. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And also just to add on to that, it's really about it's OK to keep working. So even if you do love your job, imagine like the flexibility and the type of options you un you unlock for yourself when you are so financially stable that you can walk away or take longer breaks or just stay in a job because you do love it, but it's not for the money. How much like better that is. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So Jean, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. Before we talk about where people can find your the podcast and the new book, I do have, so I have a launch club and I have a member inside the launch club. This is my membership community. And they posted as soon as you, they started hearing about your new book that they bought your new book. She's a super fan. Oh, tell her thank you. Her name is Lena Morris. So I, I you know, she doesn't know I'm doing this, but I want to give Lynn a shout out and um just uh, I, she I just know that you meant a lot to her Aww. journey for personal finance so <laughs> thank you Lynn I hope you like the book and I'm, I'm so happy that you're part of my community as well yeah and so I wanted to give her a little shout out but let everyone know where they can listen to your amazing podcast find out more about you and then of course get the book so you can find the Her Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or Stitcher. We're on all the platforms. 
if you go to hermoney.com, you will find a lot of information about the book, about the newsletter for free that we publish a couple of times a week. And I hope, um, I hope that you'll pick up the book as well. It's, it's available on Amazon and, and pretty much everywhere books are being sold. Amazing. And I will link all of this in the show notes so people can link to everything. Thank you so much, Jamila. I appreciate it. And I've loved being with you. Thanks, Jean. Okay, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jean. And I love that she can just give her a perspective of someone being in the space for so long, how it's evolved, how some of the things that are issues back then are still issues now. And I loved her insight, especially dealing with the older generation. And so I just love that. So if you want the episode show notes, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 104. Then make sure if you're on social media, so Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, that you follow me. I'm at Journey to Launch and that you're also just keeping in the know. Make sure you sign up to the newsletter. Now, remember, doors for the Launch Club are closed right now. So that's the membership community for journeyers who really are like, listen, I love the podcast, but I need more. Like I want to really apply what I'm learning to my life. That's the Launch Club. And, you know, we're, we'd love to have you. Doors are closed right now, but get on the list so that you're the first one to know. And actually, it might be a little surprise if you're on the list. So go on the list by going to journeytolaunch.com slash launch club. You'll get on the wait list and then keep checking in your email and you might see something soon about that. So let me read a review of the week from a journeyer from Apple Podcasts. Now, this is from Eternal. She says, love this podcast. He or she. They say, I am so impressed with this podcast. It has inspired me in ways I thought I would never be inspired. I'm working on paying off debt, so I usually never even think about investing or the different possibilities. Jamila's story and her variety of guests have taught me more than what any class ever could. I have never encountered information about stocks and investing that made it sound so easy to understand and accessible. Thank you for such an amazing podcast. Thank you so much, Eternal. You know, this is my goal I've been thinking about this for a while now about while I am encouraging you all to pay off debt, if that's the space that you're in, but being debt free is not enough to build wealth. Like there's so much more after that. And that's, that's the kind of level I want to take you guys on the journey. What happens after you pay off debt? It's that that's building wealth, that's building financial independence. So I'm so happy that you guys see that in the conversations and in the content and that you're getting inspired to act. So thank you. Now, if you want to leave an Apple Podcast review and you listen to Apple Podcasts, do that. I love, again, seeing those. But listen, if you don't listen to an Apple Podcast, totally fine. I actually don't care where you listen as long as you're listening and sharing this with a family or friend. All right. So until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.